Hey everybody, welcome back to the Fashion School Dropout. Today's guest is CEO and founder of the Fashionpreneur Academy, which is a digital educational platform with the goal of changing the faces of fashion entrepreneurs. She is also the owner of Irregular Exposure, a hugely successful woman's ready-to-wear brand. Jessica started her career in high school as the go-to seamstress who made everyone's prom dress, and she is now running a multi-million dollar brand irregular exposure. So if you dream of starting your own clothing line or boutique, there's no need to look any further. So with that said, I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, Jessica Williams. Welcome. Thank you for that amazing introduction. Of course, of course. (laughs) So you started out making clothes for your friends in your hometown of Baltimore. So at what point did you say you know what, I'm going all in with my clothing line. I'm moving to LA and run my operations from there. Cause you know, a lot of people have this dream of moving to LA or New York or wherever, but sometimes they sit on that dream. You know, they might be filled with doubt. What encouraged you to just take that leap of faith? Yeah. So like you said, I started in Baltimore. That's my hometown. That's where I'm from. And I was so young when I started, I was only 14 doing custom designs and palm gowns, like you said, in high school. And Baltimore was all I knew. And I realized that I wanted to start transitioning into new arenas. And one thing about growing a business, I always tell people, they always say, I wanna, my big goal is to be an international fashion label and and to, you know, house my brand in all these retailers and stores. But I always tell people, I had watched this interview when I was around 16. It was Oprah and she was being interviewed by someone. I forgot who she was being interviewed by, but she was being interviewed. And the person had asked her, the interviewer asked, how do you make your decisions? You're a billionaire. You're successful. You don't have to do anything for the rest of your life. You don't have to lift a finger. How do you solve problems? Because I can only imagine the mass that your problems are on, like the level they're on if you have billion dollar problems. And I remember Oprah said in that interview, I focus on the next best step to attain the goal instead of focusing on the issue as a whole. So I focus on the next best step. And I applied that in my life at a young age. I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on the next best step for my goals. I always thought big, big. I always dreamt big. I always could see myself being successful, but I focused on the next best step. So following high school, I went to college in Philly. I said, okay, I want to live outside of Baltimore. I want my brand to grow nationally and then internationally. So the next best step is to just go a little bit further out for college. So that's what I did. I attended the Art Institute of Philadelphia, got my degree in design. And it was a great experience overall in regards to connecting and meeting people and understanding diversity and understanding the importance of working around other people and nurturing their creativity. The school, I learned a lot, but I felt like I learned more from my classmates honestly. So that then opened the door to me. I did Philly. I've met people from all over. I've connected. I have this diverse network now. Where do I want to go? I ended up going back to Baltimore to work in property management for five years and also to care for my mom. She has MS and I wanted to be there with her. So I was there for five years and then my mom sat me down one day and was like, I know you're purposely not moving because of me. I need you to go. I'm fine. I'm all right. I got this. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go. So I started looking into other cities. I was going to move to New York. I went up there, literally signed a lease that I canceled. I said, this isn't right. I don't feel like God ordained this. I had signed a lease in Atlanta the day of, said I'm not going. It was always not right. 
I was in a completely different space in my life. I was like 23, 24 at this time in a relationship. I had different people around me. A lot of, it was just different. My life was just completely different. And I felt like God was putting a stop on something. He was protecting it. Then we fast forwarded to about 2018. I went to my best friend the end of 2017, actually, and said, hey, I want to move to LA. I want to expand my brand. I know I had a storefront in Baltimore at the time. I wanted to shut it down and relocate. And everybody else thought I was crazy, except for my family. My best friend was like, let's go. Let's do it. She has her own company. She's an entrepreneur. And I was like, let's both expand. So a year later, we moved to LA. I closed my store in Baltimore. I had a 1,400 square foot store, shut it down, moved into a 400 square foot office in LA. I had never had a roommate since college. Me and my best friend were roommates. Literally, I just said, how can I cut all expenses so I can save for this opportunity? And that's what I did. And here I am. I'm about to celebrate two years in LA. I can't believe it's been two years, but we moved from a 400 square foot office. We've only expanded. So we're now in our third office. We're now in 3,500 square feet. We have a full-time staff, amazing girls work here. I love my team. So I have an amazing team. We have amazing contractors. My best friend has expanded her company. She does marketing management on top of her other company. So I'm a client of my best friend that I moved out here with. I just moved into my dream loft townhome out here like a week ago. So all of this is glory to God and following the process and sacrificing before I had the overflow. So I could have easily moved out here and lived on my own, but I tell people, keep your expenses as low as possible. So if you have that right hand that can go with you, that is supporting you unconditionally, that is willing to sacrifice, move together, save, ask yourself, again, what is the next best step? Do you need an office? I know we have these dreams of wanting all these things, but what is the best next thing we need? So that's kind of what did it for me. I realized that I wanted to expand. I prayed over it for a year. I fasted for it. I asked for God's direction on it. And the opportunity arose. It was very scary. I was like, what am I doing? I remember going to the airport with that one-way ticket, like, what am I doing? But I did it, and it was the best decision ever. So that's how we ended up in L.A. L.A. just felt right. I had been traveling to L.A. as well for a couple of years prior, just networking. I did retreats here for the Fashionpreneur Academy. I had two retreats prior to me living here. I had an amazing network out here. And I loved L.A. I loved California, the weather. I loved what it did for me spiritually. I found my church that I love. I loved what it did for my health. I eat different now. I don't even eat the same foods I used to eat back at home. And I love what it did for my spirit. So I, I knew that that was the right place for me. I feel like sometimes a lot of people ask me, well, Jess, you know, where should I move? Or how do you decide where you should go? But I honestly feel like you have to remember to consider yourself in your decision making. A lot of times you make decisions like, I got to go after my business. But you're the owner of that business. And if your mental stability isn't right in that city, then it's not the right place for you. So every other city didn't feel right. This felt right. And now I'm like, yeah, I don't see myself living anywhere else. Wow. I'm about to throw a shoe over here. Like, that was a word. <laughs> what a testament to just staying true to yourself and, yeah. you know, just knowing exactly what you need and focusing on that next step. Because like you said, I feel like a lot of people with that entrepreneurial mind and spirit, they just want to go all out right away. But like you said, you cut your expenses in places where it needs to be. You weren't trying to be on that whole, like, yeah, I'm a baller. I moved to LA. Look at me, you know, stunning for the gram for your friends back home. None of that. Wow. Never, never. And I think that's so important. 
I always tell people to apply the Candy Barris mentality. Do you watch Housewives of Atlanta? So this is a shot, but I have never seen it. But I know Candy. I know Candy. <laughs> well, I'm sure some of the dropouts have definitely listened to it. Yeah, yeah. And watched it. So I know you guys know all about Housewives of Atlanta. And I love Housewives of Atlanta. Like, that's the one reality show I can't get enough of. And Candy, I remember, like, 10 years ago, there was an episode. And when she first joined the cast, and she talked about how she had bought her first house at 18 years old, how she had drove the same Mercedes since she was, like, 22. Like, she had the same Mercedes for eight years. And everyone on the show was questioning her, like, oh, you know, she's not that successful. You know, just cattiness. And she kept saying how smart she was with her finances. And Candy is the most lucrative owner on the show candy is the most successful candy i watch how she makes financial decisions i watch how some of the other castmates they move into these houses that are huge and they have to wait to get them you know developed and candy was smart enough to buy her home on buy two homes on foreclosure and make the other one a guest home and put a bridge in the middle of it like being financially savvy so i always say apply the candy bears methodology to your finances so i've always worked off of a very lower salary until I could afford to give myself a raise. So even though I had a six-figure company, I think the year I moved, I had grossed 408K in sales, but I lived off of $30,000. So I think people need to understand, you got to survive first. And I promise you, your ball out season will come. It will. But if you do it prematurely, you will never truly have the opportunity to grow. And, and one thing about finances is, Guys, remember, we're here about fashion, but you got to think about the next thing. Times are changing. Gen Z is coming over and taking over fashion. They don't even like the clothes that we design. You know, like, <laughs> it's a different customer. And I think you have to be open to being financially responsible when it comes to investments, properties, looking into stocks, IRAs. So these are things I, were, I was never talking about these things two years ago when I moved here. So becoming more responsible in business taught me to be more responsible with finances as well. So I always encourage you guys, remember you're a CEO, you're an entrepreneur, and the people that you guys see chilling, relaxing, they're the ones living off of investments. They're, we don't work hard around you, you know? So I had to learn that. <laughs> and that's what I always tell people. Like you look at entrepreneurs, like not fashion related, but Jay-Z, he comes to mind yeah. automatically because the bulk of his fortune is not from music. It's from his investments. You know, he has the 4040 Club. Like, he has bottles, like, all different types of businesses. His art collection is insane. You know, just diversifying your income is something that they don't teach you. And this is why it's important to have people like you who are willing to pass down that knowledge to the next generation. Yeah, and I always tell people, like, how you said with Jay-Z, Rihanna. Look at what Rihanna's doing. People are like, where's your next album? Really, is she don't She's have to not do worried about no album. <laughs> we have Savage Fenty, and what I love about Rihanna is she's so focused on inclusion. She had like a 65 year old model, um, a beautiful black woman with gray hair named Joanne that was one of her models in Fenty. She has all sizes extra small to 3X. So we have Fenty Time Savage, which is like low cost lingerie, then we have Fenty, which is a high end brand, like then we have skin. We have makeup, like you have to diversify. So I think it's very, very important that we're open to diversifying. So I know we're here for fashion guys, but remember you're going to take those fashion coins and apply it to the next best thing. So we always talk about the next best step. Think about your next best step. Love that. So you moved to LA. 
you found success, but were there any obstacles that you had to overcome as someone who might not be too familiar with the LA fashion scene or maybe things you, obstacles you overcame as a black woman in fashion? Can you speak on that? Absolutely. So there were a lot of challenges <laughs> moving. First things first, what I have to say is it was a challenge being in a new arena that I had never known. I was really grateful, like I said, to be here with my very best friend who knows me better than anyone. So we got to know this together. I, it would have been 10 times harder being alone. So that was a blessing. But it was a challenge getting to know myself in a new city without my family here. My weekends consisted of my family, watching my nephew, hanging out with my brother and sister and my closest friends back home. Like all that was different. It was gone. So I had to get to know myself as this more mature woman. I was single. I was out of a relationship I was in for nine years. So like I had to really get to know myself. So it was a challenge to, well, I can't say it was a challenge. It was very fun to get to know myself. I started doing things like trying different churches, going out to eat at different places, taking myself on dates every week. So that was more so what I was concerned about. Like how much of, am I going to love it here? And I realized that I loved it. Another challenge I had was that people had this facade of LA that people are weird and women are cat, like just negative connotations. And I was not in the same mental space then that I was in now. So my mindset was on my East Coast, like, oh, well, I'm just not going to be connecting too much. I'm going to just be in my own bubble. And that's it. I don't need to really network much. And I had to change that mentality very quickly. So when I first moved here, I was just all about my business, what I had going on. And I always have been a big networker, but I was so leery of networking in LA because of those negative connotations. And I had to get that out of my head and wipe it out. So I began to network and it was the best decision I've ever made. I have made some of my closest friends just from writing back to a DM, just from going to a fashion show to support. Also, I think people need to understand people always say like LA so I always talk to people that say LA is so clickish and all these things like don't get all that out your head just stop even thinking like that guys I go out to eat and connect and go on a hikes and jobs with everybody I don't look at anyone based off of where they are on social as far as views or likes I link up with the 19 year old girl that messages me that wants to go hiking on Saturday and she's inspired by my brand I link up with the 38-year-old. I have a good friend that's 38 years old. She's a mom of three. She's a therapist. Like, and she's married with, like I said, with three children. Like, we're all so different. So I feel like it was a challenge to understand that everybody's not going to be like what you're used to back at home. And that's what's the beauty of it. That's why you move, is to diversify yourself and have these experiences. So it was challenging to open up to network because I was so closed off at that time and that season because I had had so many things and so many people in my life that it just didn't work out with. And now I am meeting so many great people. So be open to meeting people. Don't come out here or don't go anywhere being a negative person. And you can be that person. I was that person. I didn't even realize it. And now I realize like, oh no, you have to be open to connecting. So that was a challenge. But like I said, black women just we have this negative connotation. It makes people scared. So that was a challenge to open up to meet people. But I didn't have too many other challenges by the grace of God. I, I really didn't. There were a lot of challenges in business overall with just trying to expand. I can say one of my biggest challenges. Now, I don't think I've talked about this much yet, but one of my biggest challenges I ever had was I decided when I first moved, I was sacrificing. I was able to save a lot of money. I decided I'm going to open my own factory in-house in L.A. 
So I opened the factory. I got a full-time staff and it was so expensive. And I didn't think about the best next step. And I realized like, this is not making me happy. It's actually stressing me out. So I shut it down like four months later and I decided to go into partnerships with other factories instead. So that was the biggest challenge for me was to open up something and then close it because I had never closed it. And I was like, oh, did I fail? And I realized like, I didn't like it. And now I'm in a place where I could open three factories. And I'm like, that was stressful. I didn't like that. So I learned that I did not like something that I thought was a goal of mine. And I think we could get really caught up in the facade of what these goals are. I didn't like it. And I outgrew my factory in the first two months. Like we couldn't even develop our own clothing in it because we had too many orders and not enough staff. And I realized this isn't what I want. This is stressful. It's too much overhead. It's too many staff members. My electric bill is going to be ridiculous because it's all this machinery. I don't want this. I would rather pass the stress on. So that was a big challenge to have to let that go and change up the dynamic of that business that I had. And that's equally important as a business owner to know when things just aren't working out because we're always told, keep going, keep going. But if it's you know, making you pull your hair out, then it might not be so worth it, right? So with all said, I'm all mentorship and inspiring the next generation of fashionistas. So yeah. in addition to Irregular Exposure, you have the Fashionpreneur Academy. So for those listening, can you please explain what the Academy is and what were your motivations and reasons behind starting the Fashionpreneur Academy? Yes. So the Fashionpreneur Academy, that is my baby. All of my businesses, I say, are like my children. I say a regular exposure is my teenager that's growing and she's being influenced by Gen Z now and she's just acting out sometimes. We gotta, we've pivoted a lot this year with COVID and just figuring out what dynamic marketing works best, but she is doing very well. So I'm grateful for that. And the Academy is more so like my almost five-year-old and she is just growing and doing great things. So the Fashionpreneur Academy launched in April, 2016. I know I was telling you, I worked in property management for five years to really save up to develop my fashion label. And I did it simultaneously while developing my line, while showing in Fashion Week. It was great. And when I was at that nine to five, I had a supervisor by the name of James. He's one of my closest friends to this day. And we worked together at the job and he was so inspired by me. And we just, we love each other so much. I, I love James. And what I loved about him at the time is I wasn't that close to God at that time. Like I grew up in church, but it wasn't a requirement. It, it wasn't, I wasn't influenced in my spirit, I felt. And when I had, when I was working at the job, I remember telling James, like, I want to, you know, go full-time on my business. I want to do these things. And he was so supportive. He used to let me off on weekends, on weekdays to sew. Like, he was so supportive. And I remember he told me, like, oh, oh, I remember I had applied to be a part of a business coaching program. And I had a business coach by the name of Raven. She was actually a customer of mine years previously when I used to design custom orders. And she had a code program. I seen it on Instagram. She had, like, this free ebook. And I downloaded it and it was so informational about entrepreneurship. And I was like, wow, this is great. And I did already do a youth entrepreneurship program about probably like eight years earlier. And I realized like, okay, maybe I could do this full time. Maybe I can do this. And I applied for a call with her. I had the call, went back to work that following Monday, told James like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to sign up for her program. It's a lot of money. I don't know. And he was like, 
can you recite the Lord's prayer for me? And I was like, what? And he was like, recite the Lord's prayer. And I said, I, I don't know it fully. And he said, that's why you're scared. If you knew that, you understand the importance of faith. And I was like, wow. And this is why this is one of my best friends in the world. Checkmate me, okay? So I went home and I prayed that night for the first time in a long time. I prayed, but it wasn't consistent. And I prayed that night and I asked God for direction over that decision. That night I had a dream. My father had passed away December 2011. Out of the blue, he had a heart attack. And I had a dream about my father. And I had a dream that I was working in property management in an office right across from the hospital my dad passed away in. And it was me and James working. It was super busy. And James used to always let me off to do what I had to do. I said, James, I got to go. I have to go to this grand opening next door. I got to go. And in the dream, he said, no, you got to finish working today. No. And I had to do all these tours on the apartment community. And everybody in Baltimore City was pulling up to this grand opening. The grand opening was the grand opening to my store, Regular Exposure. And I was at work. So by the time I got off and went next door, everyone left. And everyone was leaving. I'm like, oh, no, please, wait, wait, wait. I'm here. They're, they're leaving. I missed my moment. And my dad was the only person left in the store. I sat in this chair by myself. And my dad walked up to me, just cursing me. I was like, I can't believe you. You're not having faith. You're not trusting and I remember waking up the next morning like, whoa, that's how God works? Like, I mean, this was all within 24 hours. I signed the contract to work with my business coach the next day. To this day, I'm her most successful success story. Within four months, I was out of my job. Y'all, I didn't have no money saved up. A regular exposure wasn't making no money at all. It was making like $300 a month. When I left the job, I still wasn't making any money yet. But I was walking with blind faith, as you should when you have God as your core. The first day of me being an entrepreneur, I made $12,000 in a regular exposure. Hello. First day. And my business coach said to me, you need to create a program and curriculum just like what I'm giving you right now for fashion designers and for creatives, for boutique owners. People need to know how to do this. And I said, what? I can't teach anyone that. She said, you don't even realize that you teach me something every single day. You are a teacher. And I'm like, I can't create a curriculum. Y'all, I started the curriculum April 2016. I've been able to assist over 5,000 fashionpreneurs with developing and launching their fashion brands. So the Fashionpreneur Academy is an online coaching curriculum, and we assist emerging and aspiring fashion entrepreneurs with developing their lines. We focus on boutique owners and designers. My goal is to also establish the importance of entrepreneurship and creative. So what makes my program so different from a lot of like e-courses and downloads and, and vendor lists from out there is that we focus on entrepreneurship as a whole. So you're gonna understand financial planning. You're gonna understand digital marketing. So I'm gonna teach you how to do your own Facebook ads, your own digital ads. You're gonna understand content development. You're gonna understand how to manufacture your line with factories. You're gonna understand how to buy wholesale, how to be your own press and PR, because that is so crucial to your marketing and your expansion. And how to create something that's sustainable that's 10 years from now still thriving. I always tell my students, I don't want free money. I don't want you to sign up for something and you don't get the result. I want this to be an investment for you where you see that back in overflow. So all of our clients are doing really well. I have clients that have launched their businesses within three months of working with me and see four figures in their first 90 days. I have clients that have launched and quit their job in 14 days. So it depends on their work. But we start with a free webinar. So if you go to the fashionpreneuracademy.com, you'll see we have a webinar that's absolutely free. It really shouldn't be because I give you everything. And it's free. You get it. And there's an offer at the end and you'll learn everything you need to know about working with me in next steps. But that's how the Academy was born. And 
we're about to celebrate five years in April. So I'm really excited about the Academy. And we've been able to do a lot of events in person. I have changed up the Academy. I used to offer like consultations and private coaching. Now that I am a little more busy, I have retired from those aspects of it. But I do, and I will never shift this portion of it, but I do still do my um, classes bi-weekly with my students in a group. And we pray at the end of each call. So our classes are two to two and a half hours. And that's just something I can never get rid of because it's, it's what I have to do. So that's the Academy. Oh, y'all hear that? If you want to become a designer, if you want to start your own boutique, your own line, this is where you need to be. You need to link up with Jess because and what I love is that it's not just focused on the fashion. Too many people who want to get into fashion, like you said, they don't realize you're becoming an entrepreneur. There's so much more to it. Like fashion, you know, the clothes, the glamour of it all is just like five, ten percent of the whole picture. Like at the end of the day, a multi-billion dollar business at that. And it's time yes. for you to get your piece of the pie, okay? Yes. <laughs> so you have definitely seen a lot of designers coming your way. What would you say are the characteristics that make someone more successful as far mm -hmm. as becoming a designer? Great question. So when it comes to being a designer, the success comes in when you are true to your aesthetic. I see a lot of designers that don't see the success they want to see right out the gate because they try to mimic what's already out there. You are a culture driver if you're a designer. You're like, I always tell people it's equivalent to the music industry. You have the producer and you have the artist, right? The artists, they create a genre within the culture. That's what you're doing in fashion. So create something that we don't see all the time and you're going to be successful. So focus in on your niche. So for a regular exposure, we focused in on ruching. We're known for having everything ruched. We love to ruch everything. Ruching makes everybody's type look great, looks great. We have women that are 3X that look curvy and beautiful in these outfits, extra small body types. It makes your body just look beautiful. So that's our thing, and we're always going to have ruching. Another thing about our niche is that we focus on, I always tell people, my sister asked me yesterday, just what are you thinking about when you design this stuff? Because I don't understand what you're thinking about, but I love it. And I told her, I think about if I were to take my boyfriend's clothes and cut them up and make them sexy. So everything's oversized and everything has cutouts as well. So that's my style. I'm literally a girl that would go to the basketball court and cut the back of my boyfriend's hoodie off so I'm comfortable. So like, think about the day in the life of your target customer and what they do and stick to that. And understand that your brand might not always be a representation of you. I don't always wear regular exposure, honestly. So be okay with the fact that you might be painting the picture for another customer, but stick to that niche. And I'm telling you, you will see success. So if you want to start a line of just mini skirts and you have bomb mini skirts, then stick there and we will come to you for mini skirts. If you want to be a plus size lingerie designer, stick to that and do plus size lingerie. And as you grow, you can focus on the next best step with expanding and having more inclusion. But I find that the people that don't always see success are the people that go for, they go to cookie cutter. Like, you can't tell me that you want to just, just make a little black dress. We have enough of them. A little white t-shirt. Why? You know? Like, think bigger. And think creatively. And paint a picture. You're an artist. So, like, for me, I can envision my brand. Like, I can see women sitting on the basketball court watching black men play basketball with all of their hoodies cut up and their basketball shorts. Because I can imagine that fashion show. So, like, imagine your brand how do you see how do you envision it 
and be inspired by that. And you don't have to think, some people think really deep as creatives. I, I honestly kept it as simple as this is who I am and this is what I've been doing all my life. But there might be a huge story behind it. So think about your story behind your brand and understand that it's okay to focus on the niche. You're actually going to see a lot more success if you focus on one thing. Alexander Wayne started with one item on his site. So focus on one thing. It's okay to launch one product and have one product available. It, I guarantee you, you'll have a top selling product if it is something that people cannot live without. But if it's too cookie cutter and it's not fun enough, it's too basic, then it'll sit on your site. We have enough basics. So be irregular. We have enough basics. <laughs> yes. And that is so important that you said that because I think a lot of people, they want to come out the gate doing the most. And it's important that you just stick to one good thing at first. And when I see on Instagram, I'm scrolling, I see a girl, you know, hugging her curves, hugged up in a ruched dress. I'm like, I know where that's from. Yes. <laughs> Focus on one thing first, become known for that one thing, and then you can expand later on. <laughs> uh, okay so we spoke a little bit about you know gen z and having to pivot during covid19 what are some ways that you have had to pivot during this crazy time this unexpected time that we're living in right now oh this has been the craziest year ever but it's been our most successful year ever so it's been a blessing we've had to pivot a lot and i will say that some of the pivots were for the better like I said, we had our factory back in 2019, and we had a few team members that were still here from the Department of Design, and we realized with COVID that that was a department that we could kind of part ways with. So we started that process and started to transition all of our manufacturing back overseas. We used to have everything made in LA, but once COVID hit, I remember my production manager, she couldn't leave her house. She couldn't leave her son. I had to go out and do all the management, source materials, and the cost. I started to realize by doing her job, like, this is adding up between mileage and, and fabrics and factories and factory delays. Like, we could just cut all this out and go back overseas. So, guys, one thing about designing, you can do everything full service with one factory, or you can work within your own assembly line. So, we were doing everything in an assembly line, and it was saving us money. But after COVID, prices went up for production, prices went up for fabric development, and we realized, let's go back overseas and let's cut costs and increase quality. So that's what we did. So I parted with ways with that entire factory. So that was a six-figure savings because these are two payrolls that have been saved tremendously. And, you know, parted ways with a lot of those factories. And we still work with them from time to time for private labeling, for alterations. Like, we still work with those factories. But most of our stuff, everything's produced overseas now. As simple as communication through WhatsApp, WeChat, email. The factories that I work with overseas are factories I've went and visited myself overseas. They are factories that started with me, I'm talking 12 and 13 years ago, when I didn't have any money and they were allowing me to work with them as a small designer. And we've grown together. So I'm really blessed to have those same members, which is why it's so important, like we talked about, to be kind and nurture those relationships because I had to go back to them and say, hey, I need you. And they were ready to work. And we have a great relationship. So that was a big pivot for us to start moving all of our development overseas because we were a made in the USA brand. And that was scary. People don't like buying from brands that aren't made in the US. So we had to shift that on our website, our about me pages, everything. We had to change that. Another way we had to pivot, we actually expanded. So we had to move. We needed more space in the dead of COVID. I remember one day back in March when everything got shut down. LA was shut down like for real. I remember one of my team members, oh, 
it was shut down. I got to I remember Beverly Hills, like, I live in Inglewood. I got to Beverly yeah. Hills in, like, 10, 15 minutes tops, which yep. happens. <laughs> now, I miss the traffic. I miss the COVID traffic. I it's not <laughs> But it's back now. It is. But, yeah, like, I remember one of my amazing team members, Z, she is, I is her baby. And I remember I told her, like, you know, we can't come into work anymore. We, You guys, I don't know what's going to happen. It, I just was in tears every day as the CEO, like not knowing how to take care of my team and what is the next step for them. And Z was like, she called me back like, nah, we got to take all this stuff to my house. And I was like, what? And she was like, let's get a U-Haul, let's pack it up and take everything to my house and I'm going to work from home. That is the dedication I had on my team. We did this. She shipped from home for probably like two or three weeks. We got a U-Haul, but everything back and we could get back in the office. So that was a huge pivot. And I mean, it just went from there. Those were, I think, the two major ones. Like, we had to shift inventory tremendously, shift our departments, get rid of our entire department. But we're in a place now where we have a really great flowing system. So each month, we have meetings with our marketing manager. We go over our promotions for the month. We, I'm managing inventory myself. I'm more hands-on again. I was kind of out of it. And I'm still not all the way in it, but I'm in it enough where I'm managing my inventory, managing our expenses, and... For the first time ever, we're, we're a seven-figure company. We already surpassed seven figures for the year. But for the first time ever, we have a lot of liquid cash. So, guys, as you grow in finances, you'll understand you can be a seven-figure earner and not profit. So, you could have earned seven figures and not profited. And we are now very profitable. And that is where the success lies when I have those meetings with my accountants. And it's like, hey, you guys saw 90K in this month of sales and you profited 65K of or 75K of it or 85K of it because you're saving so much on inventory. So you have to understand that net versus gross is real. So people get really excited when you see these people's numbers like, oh yeah, they made 80K. You don't know that they probably spent 75,000 on Facebook ads to make 80,000 and they're actually down negative. So that doesn't even include the cost of expenses and overhead if they have overhead, you know? So I think those are the things we gotta consider. So make sure guys you're paying attention to your profit. And that is why I'm so excited about our brand right now, because we are, we're profitable. We're extremely profitable in a time where the world is against us. <laughs> yes. And it's all about, it's not about what you make, it's about what you keep. Exactly. Yes. So you mentioned just how dedicated your team members were, which is so needed during this time. How did you go about getting your first team member when you were in the early days of Irregular Exposure? How did you know, okay, this is time. I can't do this by myself. It's time to grow. It's time to expand. Literally what you just said, that statement, like when I realized that I can't do this alone and I'm losing out on time, that's when I knew I had to hire. Now, I did not know why. I, that wasn't my reasoning back then. My reasoning back then was more so I just need help. So I'm going to hire someone. So I had like an intern. I paid like $350 a month, like really low. Just they wanted to learn. So I had that person come in. But once... I got my store. That's when I would say I got my first official employee. I had a store in Baltimore. I had a team member. She was a well-known model in Baltimore. And she came in. She worked in my store. She was there for a short time. I learned at that point, like, I can't just hire because of who people are. Or I need to hire based off their qualifications. They have to be very qualified. And I realized that I need to hire people that are better than me in every position. You should be better than me. And that's the whole point of hiring, guys, is for you to bring in experts. Not for you to bring in a, uh, people that you're going to be, that are going to be training on your dime, right? They should be experts. So 
I learned the importance of hiring experts. So that's what I did. Good, good help costs. So I started paying more than minimum wage. Uh, and I started getting great help. I started getting those team members that were willing to stay late nights account inventory. And honestly, there weren't many nights we had to do that because everybody did their job. So I'm not, I always tell people, like, I see, I hear these war stories of I work seven days a week. I work 18 hours a day. I work until Saturday and Sunday. No, I can't go out. I got to work. That's just not my story. I didn't do this to not have freedom. And I want my girls to have freedom. My girls don't work on weekends like most boutiques. They work Saturdays, Sundays. My girls don't work weekends. We're off at five o'clock. Fridays are usually sometimes half days or three o'clock days. Go enjoy your day. I just told my girls just now, hey, Black Friday, I know it's a big day for us, but you guys are welcome to work from wherever you want on call and come back on Monday. So I think the most important part is to take care of your staff and realize they're individuals. So I'm not... A slave owner. I'm never going to be that person that's like, oh, it's Black Friday, so we're going to come in at 6 a.m. No, I want y'all to take care of your mental. That's the priority for me because that's what sets the energy for when we come in. So I think I had to start hiring experts. So I have experts on my team now. I have a marketing manager who's also my best friend, and she has her own company called the B Brown Agency. So she curates all of our marketing, manages all of our marketing team members from our graphic designer to Facebook ads. We have a really amazing report that we live by where we manage all of our social media posts. I have Z, she manages all social media, all things IE, she runs it, this is her baby. So she runs it, she does shipping, returns, we put systems into play. And I think also what's important guys is I listen to my team. They're the forefront. So she tells me, Jess, we need this new colorway. We don't need to restock this. I think we need to put this new policy online for returns. I think we need this new software to protect orders. Everything she tells me I put into play. Because she's telling me from a place of this is what's going to make her life easier and it's going to make us easier as we grow. And we're ahead of the game. We're ahead of the curve. So I have her. I have a personal assistant I just got by the name of Chelsea. She started in September. She's amazing. She does everything I need from running around to the stores to going with me to do photo shoots. She does all of my content, pictures, and she's very invested in the success. Today, she made me get dressed so we can go take pictures of our bags. Like, very invested. She does everything. So I can imagine not having a personal assistant now that I'm at where I am. She handled my move for me, everything. So she's a gem and she helps Z out on busy days. So I love having her. So yeah, our team is only growing. There's a lot of other people that are like more so contractors, but that's our core team. It's not that many of us. It's not that many of us. It's really just very key players. So you don't need a lot of people. You need the right people and you need experts. So my best friend is not the marketing manager because she's my best friend. She's the marketing manager because she has a master's in marketing. And she understands the process and she is ahead of the curve. She's the person that makes us do things that focus on inclusion. She's been the marketing manager since we moved out here. We went from $5,000 months to $99,000 months from those initiatives. We have put a lot of things into play. She has me coming in on Sunday here in the office to do our 2021 planning meeting. I pay the same rate as everybody else, the same retainer. So I think like that is important. I have an expert that does our Facebook ads. We interviewed him. Like, don't just hire people because they think they can do the job. They have to qualify. So if they qualify, and that's when you work here, you qualify. So that's more so what I had to learn. I had staff that didn't qualify before, and, and they're not here anymore, thank God. But I was going off of, I love your, I love your spirit. I love the way you make me feel. It's, you can't work like that, guys. you got to take the personal out of it. And understand every decision is going to drive your sales. And I look at my sales this time last year when I didn't have the team members I have this year. It's a completely different ballgame.
completely different. So your team will make or break you. And every person on my team is an asset to the point where we've only grown. And I always tell people when you're hiring, that staff member should make you four times their salary from their efforts. And that should be from their contributions, their ideas, their work completion. So every person here has been able to do that to the point where I couldn't imagine not having them. So I, I take really good get care of my girls. We're about to have lunch together soon, a couple hours, well, probably like an hour or so. I try to take really good care of them. So just take care of your staff. One of my girlfriends from Philly, she has a boutique, and she came in here a couple weeks ago, and she was down in the fashion district by wholesale. She said, I'm so hungry. You guys have snacks. I said, oh, yeah, we stay fully stocked with snacks. And, and she was like, I need to take care of care of my girls. I'm like, you do, because <laughs> you got to take care of them. They got to be taken care of. So I think that's important. So I'm like the house mom that comes in, make sure they're good. I hire professional cleaners to make sure that they don't have to worry about that. Like, I try to take as much stress off of them as possible so they can focus on their job because think about if we're here now, think about where we'll be in six months and a year from now. They're only going to be busier and I, they're only going to be training more people under them. So it has to be a great atmosphere. So my focus is my staff. Take care of your peoples and they will take care of you. Yes, they will. And I just love what you said about placing those boundaries on weekends and having the half days because I feel like the culture that we're living in right now, especially with Instagram, it glorifies this hustle culture, get no That is just not healthy. I used to be like that. I used to pride myself on staying up till 5 a.m. And I'm like, the only one suffering is myself. Like, I can't perform at my best when I'm over here, like, you know, like, it is so important to place those boundaries on yourself. So take care, take care of yourself. Very true. Very true. So... Last but not least, you've given us so many gems, and I'm over here taking notes too. Like I'm gonna, you know, watch this over and be like, "She said what?" Like, <laughs> so what would your advice be to young designers who are maybe unsure of how to take that first step? Maybe they're too afraid to leave their small town, or where would they even begin to achieve their dreams? Great question. So. There's a few steps that you would want to take. Step one, check your set. And what I mean by that is check the people around you. Let's observe yourself, do some self-work, and look at the people around you. Do you have uppers or downers around you? Are the people around you motivating you and telling you that this is possible? You can do this full time. You can be this amazing designer. You're creative. Are they filling your spirits with positivity? Or are they telling you this is something that's a back-end thing? You need to still look for a job. This isn't going to work out. I got rid of anything that did not believe in my career. Any person, any person. And it was family members even. I didn't cut them off, but I just stopped talking to them about business, you know? So understand the people in your life and place them accordingly. Understand yourself as the same person. So are you a up or a downer to yourself? Do you truly believe, like, can you envision it? So I remember I was listening, I always love to listen to Nipsey Hustle interviews and podcasts. Like Nips, he thinks different. And he always would talk about how everything that he envisioned has become his reality. Every single thing he envisioned. And I can honestly say every single thing I have envisioned in my head thus far has become my reality. Every single thing from where I live to the car I drive to the way I dress to the food that I eat to everything I have envisioned it. I envision where I want to live. I envision where I want to be. So envision your life. Can you like, do you literally see yourself? 
doing this? Like, do you see yourself being happy? Do you see yourself being free? Do you see yourself being a mom that's not stressed out, that doesn't, that's to take time away from their child because they're at work all day? Like, can you see yourself having freedom? Do you see that you deserve that? Uh, so I think that's step one. And next thing is envision yourself in that city or that place you want to go to. So the best next step to start envisioning yourself there is to actually go there. Go visit. Take a weekend trip, even if no one's going with you. That's fine. Don't be the person waiting on other people. I do a lot of stuff by myself. Travel to that dream city. If you want to live in Houston, if you want to live in New York, if you are considering it, go for the weekend. Look for networking events. Look for people to connect with off social media. DM them and say, hey, girl, can we have coffee? One of my close girlfriends now that I have by the name of Brandy, she is from Kentucky. She lived in D.C. for seven years as a stylist, and she lived in New York for six years as a stylist. She came out to L.A. last year, didn't know her from anywhere outside of Instagram, DM me and said, hey, boo, I'm coming to L.A. Let's link up. Let's have drinks. Let's eat. We went to brunch. We had so much in common. Both of our moms suffer from MS. Both of us have families that we love and adore. Both of us have dreams of being in fashion. And she was like, I think I, I, I want to do this. And I want to live in LA full time. She's moving out here next month. And that's my girl, girl, like all from networking. And she came out here by herself for the weekend. And now she's about to live here and she already has a network, you know? So go to those cities and network. And then after that, you'll see if that's really where you want to be. Go look at the apartment in that city. Go look at the fashion district. Go touch fabrics. Like, go do it. That's it. And after that, when it comes to you being a designer, I do feel like the best next step for that is for you to start designing, start sketching, start creating, start writing out your ideas, start envisioning, envisioning your mood board and your vision board for that. And don't just think about the freedom that you're going to get. Don't think about the money part. I know it's hard, but I told you guys, you're going to live off a small salary. So the money part doesn't really matter at all. Think about the creativity and what makes it so different from everything else. So do your research, y'all. Like, I know we're in a time where people don't research anything anymore. Like, do your research. Watch fashion shows. I am so inspired by, my favorite designer is Stephanie Rowland. He's a Paris-based designer. I am so inspired by him. Like, pay attention to this. Watch fashion shows. Watch Rihanna's show, Fenty X Savage, for, to see the inclusion. You have to stay up on what's happening. I read articles from Retail Boss Inc., from Janelle, my favorite. I look and I pay attention to what's going on in our industry because this is going to drive what's coming next. So pay attention to what's going on. That's how you're really going to stay sustainable. And that's how you're going to stick around. Me and my, my best friend does marketing. She was talking to me the other day. She said, you know, we have to do more. We have to make sure we don't forget about our gives back, give backs. And IE always gives back. We have this annual give back called the Exposure Regular Campaign. And we give one of our customers with a percentage of sales for 30 days. Um, and we make them the face of the brand. And brands don't do that anymore. You know, they don't do that. So we're excited to do that. And we feel like it's so important that we keep doing that because that's what makes us stick around. That's what makes me want to work with you. We gave 100% of our proceeds when, I know when George Floyd had passed away, we gave 100% of proceeds to Reclaim the Block, which is a nonprofit organization that was working to defund the police, like 100%. So I think it's so imperative and crucial, guys, that you also pay attention to what's going on in our culture to be a part of it, genuinely, organically be a part of it. Not because you want to just be visible. But I was also watching the BET Awards the other day, the Hip Hop Awards. And I watched everything with a business mindset. And I was watching all these rappers coming on and they were all talking about the same thing. They all sounded the same. And I watched G Herbo. And Herb had got on there and he was saying how he wasn't there performing. He wasn't on the show performing at all. He was there talking about how he bought his elementary school that he used to go to and how he created a program and was working with children. This is the rapper, y'all, that you're going to see in 30 and 40 years because he's already in the community. You're not going to see the ones that was on the stage. He didn't get on the stage. He didn't pick up a mic. 
All he did was take us to where he's from in Chicago and show us how to, the importance of giving your time. And I think that's so important. So make sure that guys, when you are creating, you are thinking about how you're going to also share your gift. The whole point of God giving you this gift is for you to share it. And if you're not going to share it and you're not going to sow seeds, then it's no point to you designing anything. Ooh, I think we can leave off right there. Thank <laughs> you so, so much for just sharing this abundance of just a word. Like you just gave yes. me <laughs> So where can anyone who's interested in the Fashionpreneur Academy or learning more from you, where can they find you? Yes, guys, you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is irregular underscore Jess. That's I-R-R-E-G-U-L-A-R underscore J-E-S-S. You'll see all the links to all my other pages in the bio. My clothing label is Irregular Exposure. The Fashionpreneur Academy's Instagram is at Fashionpreneur Academy. It's fashion and then preneur like entrepreneur academy. And you can click the link in the bio and you can start with the masterclass. That's the best next step. I know we've been talking about the best next step. It's the best next step for everybody. It's free. It's like 60 to 90 minutes of your time and it's going to change your life. Even if you're not in fashion, it's going to help you a lot with developing your brand and developing your business and also understanding the core of God being within your forefront of your business. So that is the best next thing. So I'm excited to connect with you guys. All right. So if you guys enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you go ahead and check out Jess, subscribe, leave us a good review, and I'll see you back here next week.